my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 563. I hope you're doing very, very well. Happy Tuesday. It'll be probably Wednesday by the time you hear this because it's like afternoon. It's one o'clock in Hawaii. It's already 7 p.m. on the East Coast, doing the best I can. Uh, I try to record at 9 a.m. every morning. Sometimes you don't make the deadline. I'm doing my best. I have had a week that's been weird. I've been very sick, but I haven't been sneezing or pu- I've been, I've been I puked a couple times. I've had really bad, you know, intestinal cramps and stuff. And I'm not sure what's going on. I've lost 10 pounds in the last 12 days, roughly. Now, before you go, you have colon cancer, Zach. I want to be very clear. I have been working very hard trying to lose weight, eating less food, walking six miles every morning. Like I've been putting in a work. I've been eating very little. So my, I've been having a low calorie count, doing a lot of movement. So it makes sense to me that I'm losing weight. What I don't like is that I, I, I'm hurting. Like my stomach hurts. And I'm like, ah, well, should I maybe just be happy with my weight and stop trying to lose 10 more pounds? I'm not sure. Uh, trying to figure that out. I was proud. I've been losing weight. And then the last two days, it just hit me like a break. And my stomach has been in a ton of pain. And I, I'm not sure what's going on. It's been a weird week for me. Uh, I hope you're doing very, very well. I guess I say that to say, I, I think I'm trying to be relatable, like tell you I'm a normal human going through stuff too. Also, if anyone knows what's going on and you have an experience similar, feel free to write in. I'm a little bit like, ah, well, I don't love that. Uh, I'm going to try to eat uh, a little more tonight and see if that maybe helps. I'm not sure. We're figuring it out. Um, the big news today, the the story that made me go, hallelujah. The thing I'm really excited about today Anthony Richardson has been named the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. He will start week one, the rookie quarterback, the number four overall pick, the guy who is immensely talented. I love this move. I am so excited. I literally talked about this on the show yesterday. In fact, I was kind of disappointed. Seven o'clock last night, Hawaii time. I have a video all ready to go. And I'm like, you know what? It's seven o'clock here. It's one eight, you know, it's, it's, I guess, two in the morning. On the East Coast, I'm going to hold off on posting this clip of the show until tomorrow. You know what the clip was titled? It was titled, Anthony Richardson should start week one for the Colts. I have it sitting forever on my YouTube now, a private video that will never get published. I'm very sad. I woke up to the news and was like, oh, well, dang it. Maybe I learned a lesson there. I should probably just post it immediately and not wait because sometimes you wake up and already your video that you, you put work into is now useless and not a, a thing that is relevant to put out anymore. Uh, however... I'm so excited, man. I think the Colts got a really good one. I really believe in Anthony Richardson. This dude, first of all, I think he gives the Colts their best opportunity to win week to week. He's going to be raw. He's going to be learning as you know, kind of on the fly this year. He's going to make some mistakes here and there. But between Gardner Minshew, who I love as a human, and you know, he was six for six in the preseason game the other day. Gardner's doing everything he can to be in the best position to succeed. And if Anthony Richardson gets hurt, Gardner's going to be ready and could play okay. But when it comes down to this, it's that I think Richardson gives him a better chance to win week to week. He, he's he got more potential. Gardner's pretty limited. I love them doing this. Anthony Richardson is ahead of where I thought he would be at this point in the year. You know, watching that preseason game, I was like, oh, wow, this guy is growing and learning and getting better and clearly putting in a lot of work to improve as a passer. And uh, he knows the system really well. He's working great with Shane Steich and the new head coach. And I think I, I got to say this. I, I've, I very, very much believe in this young quarterback. Like CJ Stroud, I'm concerned. I, I like him as a person. I want him to do well in Houston. 
I'm not sure it's going to work. I hope so. Bryce Young, I feel good about in Carolina, but he is small and he's got a a coach that failed actually uh, in Indy last year. And uh, he's got a aging receiving core. I don't care what you say about Anthony Richardson. I don't really care how he does this year. Long term, that's a guy who's got potential to be a top five quarterback in the NFL. As far as the best athlete in the NFL, the quarterback position, it's Anthony Richardson. He's an amazing athlete. Huge arm, ton of velocity on the football, can run like a, I mean, not only can run like a running back, he can run like one of the best running backs. He's amazing. I really cannot over-exaggerate how great of an athlete and the ability this kid has. He's a bigger, stronger, faster Jalen Hurts. And by the way, he's running the system Jalen Hurts ran last year in Philly. Shane Steichen, the head coach in Indy, was the offensive coordinator last year. I cannot imagine a more perfect fit at the quarterback position for Shane Steichen and what he's trying to do on offense than this guy, Anthony Richardson. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm beyond the moon. I'm so excited. And I really think this guy's going to be amazing. I think he's going to do really well this year. I, I want to be very clear. He's going to have some moments where there's struggling. There's stuff here and there that's going to be, you know, ah, like, hey, that's not a great decision. That's a bad interception, stuff like that. But three or four years from now, we're going to look back on this move and Anthony Richardson being drafted number four by the Colts and say, he's a top five quarterback. He's up there with Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. I really believe that. And I think that Bryce Young is going to be good. I'm worried about CJ Stroud, but I think five years from now, we're going to look back on the 2023 draft class and say, Anthony Richardson was the best quarterback in that draft class. I really, yeah, foundationally, fundamentally believe that. I actually feel bad for C.J. Stroud, the quarterback in Houston. He was drafted number two overall, and he's going to get compared. C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson are going to get compared a ton throughout their careers. They're both in the AFC South. They're going to play each other twice a year. They were both top five picks, and I think it's always going to haunt Houston that they didn't draft Anthony Richardson. People will say, you know, it really reminds me of Miami with drafting Tua over Justin Herbert. That's a thing at the time I was very wrong about. They should have drafted Justin Herbert, not Tua. But the view was, well, you know, Tua's more NFL-ready. He's more prepared to go and a less risky pick. And C.J. Stroud at Ohio State was viewed as a less risky draft pick, where Anthony Richardson only started one year in college. He's got high potential, but what if he doesn't work? And you're going to really spend a number two overall pick in Houston who needs a quarterback badly on a risky quarterback, that's a bad move. I understand why Houston didn't draft him, but I think their fan base five years from now is going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we, the guy who's killing us twice a year in our division, we should have drafted him. And I really think that I just feel bad for CJ Stroud because he's never, ever going to compare. It's not his fault. It's just physically, he cannot do the stuff that Anthony Richardson can do. Almost nobody can. The way he can run, his massive arm, this guy is Josh Allen in the making. I really believe that. And I want people to be patient. It could take time. Remember, Josh Allen's rookie year in Buffalo, he had 10 touchdown passes and 12 interceptions. He was not amazing at, by any stretch of the imagination. But now, look where Josh Allen is today. He's a top five, you could even argue top three quarterback in the NFL. And similar to Anthony Richardson, Josh Allen was the third quarterback drafted in that draft class in 2018. Anthony Richardson was the third quarterback drafted uh, five years later in 2023. Remember, even Lamar Jackson wasn't the top pick in his draft class. Lamar Jackson, that same year, it went 
Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, then Lamar Jackson. The two best quarterbacks in that draft class, 2018, Lamar and Josh Allen, were not the first quarterbacks drafted in their draft class. And man, I, I'm fired up. I really, really believe in Anthony Richardson. I feel even better. If he was in a different system, even then you might be like, well, we hope he does well. But no, no, he's going to be in a system that's going to allow him to run the football and use everything he can do to the maximum ability. And I just think that this kid's going to reach his potential playing for Shane Steichen. It's a perfect scenario. I couldn't be more excited. And uh, again, there's going to be ugly moments, but he's so much more capable than Gardner Minshew. He's the right guy to start week one to help the Colts win week to week immediately. And you got to forgive the interceptions here and there, but I love that they're just they're pulling the bandaid off, making him the quarterback week one. Frankly, if you watch the preseason, like Aiden O'Connell had a great day for the Raiders, played for three quarters, was 15 for 18, looked like he looked like Tom Brady. Aiden O'Connell for the Raiders, rookie quarterback, looked amazing. But as far as the quarterbacks who were the top five picks, the, the rookie quarterbacks drafted in the first round, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson had the best day of any top five pick uh, in the preseason week one. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, this kid can do stuff other quarterbacks simply cannot do. And so I am, I'm really happy for the Colts fan base. I love this guy. I'm going to talk about him all year. Like, I hope people always make fun of ESPN for talking about Patrick Mahomes a ton and how, you know, oh, like, all you're doing is just, you got your head so far up Patrick Mahomes, you know what, that they're not even looking anywhere else in the NFL. I hope you realize this show is going to be like an Anthony Richardson show. I'm going to talk about this kid endlessly. I love him. I think he's the future of the Colts. I, I think he's a potential superstar and not even potential. I think he's a future superstar. I really, really believe in Anthony Richardson. And um, I'm really glad they announced this now, too, because now throughout the rest of the preseason, you can go with the operating knowledge. If you're the Colts at practice every day, it's going to change how they prepare knowing who their starting quarterback is. And, you know, ending this competition doesn't make any sense to have one when you know who's the best quarterback. And um, gosh, I love it, man. I really, really love it. I'm going to be so far. I'm going to cover this kid like a ton all year. Every little thing he does, it's it's probably going to annoy people. I'm really prepared for that because I think he's worth talking about. This kid, Anthony Richardson, he's amazing. And week to week, when he does amazing stuff, we're like, hey, did you see that throw he made? Did you see this thing? Did you see that thing? Talking about his highlights, talking about his big plays. I don't even care. I think it's justified and warranted. And um, gosh, I- I'm sad they beat me to the punch. I had a video already. I had this, this YouTube clip ready to go. Literally, it's sitting now, a private video on my YouTube channel that'll never come out. Uh, it's titled, Anthony Richardson should start week one. It's a cutout of last episode from yesterday. And uh, dang it, man, you know, I, I'm excited and disappointed at the same time. And I'm happy for Colts fans, man. They got a real one who's going to be awesome, uh, I think, for a long time. And uh, we'll see. But again, remember this. If it's rough early, Josh Allen was hard to watch as a rookie. He had 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Kenny Pickett had a ton of interceptions last year. If it's not an amazing home run that's obvious and easy to see this year, just be patient with Anthony Richardson because where he's going his potential is there, and gosh, I could not be more fired up, and and I could not believe more in a young quarterback. Like also, just the fact that even between his last game at Florida and preseason week one, he's a better quarterback. He's a better passer. He's even grown in that quick amount of time. The coaching has gotten in Indy has made him a better quarterback, and that's a good sign that 
you know, uh, you, you love Billy Napier at Florida, but I don't think that the coaching at Florida can really compare to the coaching he's gotten in the NFL and will get in the NFL. And it sounds like he's it, not, and that doesn't sound like I don't have high connections there, but watching what he did on film, he's a kid who's clearly taking the coaching and just absorbing all of it and becoming the best quarterback he can be. And I thought between week one and the end of the year last year in Florida, he was a way better quarterback. And I think the potential is so vast and he's clearly getting better, which is a terrifying thought. Like where this guy could go, Anthony Richardson, I think, I think he's got potential to be at the top of the NFL. I, I really believe that. I mean, he, he's a video game character playing in the NFL where you can't stop him. And every, once he figures it out and is really, truly accurate and got, crazy uh, you know pre-snap reads and he's got this in- insane anticipation and he's doing high level stuff throwing the football you're not going to have answers for him on defense you're going to be trying to slow him down but you're not going to be able to stop him and uh i i just could not be more i'm so excited you guys like i i love this guy so much and i think he's going to be awesome um you know there was one this is a weird thing like i said i'm going to cover anthony richards in a ton and one little story about him i saw recently he missed like a, a Monday practice or something like that, getting a, a minor surgery. And there was people going, what's that about? And he, apparently he got a, uh, what's the right word when you have a deviated septum where like half of your, your nostril, one nostril uh, is like more closed off than the other. And it was the first time in my life I'm like, is that a thing you do when you get money? Like when you have good money finally and good health care, do you go fix that? Because I'm pretty sure I have one. My, I guess my left nostril, I can barely get any air out of. This one, the right side, blow as much air out you want. You can suck in air. You can blow out air. The other one is like blocked and barely works. And I think it's because I broke my nose a long time ago or something happened in football and it's never quite been the same. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if I get great healthcare and make a ton of money someday, I'm going to follow Anthony Richardson's lead and get that solved. I bet it's way easier to breathe like straight up. And, uh, I, you know, it's the first time in my life I'm like, you always think about what you'll do when you make a ton of money and you really make it financially, like what are you going to spend money on people like a house, uh, probably get a, a reliable car, but you know, fixing the deviated septum, the breathing problem. That's a, that's a viable thing that I've never in my life considered until I saw him get that procedure. And I was like, cause first you hear quarterback, rookie quarterback, number four overall pick gets a surgery in preseason. You're like, Oh my gosh, this quarterback's getting, you know, a surgery in training camp. What does that mean? Then you find out, oh, it's to help him breathe better. Like, it's a little, and I looked into the procedure. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I should get that. And uh, I don't know, man. I love this kid so much. He's going to do so well. And uh, it might take some time, but we need to come up with, Anthony Richardson is a long name. I don't want to say that every time, but AR doesn't feel quite right. Like, can we call him A-Rich maybe? I don't know. A-Rich is kind of funny. He's going to get paid. Like, I, he will be a rich man. Like, I like A-Rich. I'm not A-R. Sounds too much like it's going to get confused with Aaron Rodgers, so you can't say that. But I want to find a quick way to say the name A-Rich. Maybe that might be it. But if you got an idea, a nickname for Anthony Richardson, we can call him that both, you know, for for new listeners, it's got to be one that they can understand, although immediately know who I'm talking about. But I also I want to find a way to shorten that from, you know, saying Anthony Richardson a lot during a podcast, that's too much. And so if I can find a shorter way to say that, uh, if you got ideas, write in, let me know. I am, I'm all ears. Um, wow. That was a lot. I feel like I just exploded at the microphone. and was like, I'm excited. You guys, I can't wait. Um, 
I want to talk about Seattle. Seattle, in my opinion, deserves recognition because half of their starting players were drafted in the last five years in Seattle. And you can add three more and say that 14 of the 22 starters in Seattle are homegrown guys that were drafted by Seattle. Now, uh, you know, nose tackle Jaron Reed was a 2016 second round pick. Receiver Tyler Lockett was a 2015 third round pick. Linebacker Bobby Wagner, that's a 2012 second round pick. It's a bit cheating to say like, oh, they're part of Seattle's great drafting, but they were drafted by Seattle. They are homegrown. Even Bobby Wagner left for a little bit, then came back. So I don't want to overstate like saying 14 out of the 22 starters were drafted by Seattle. It's a bit disingenuine because, again, those were drafted so long ago, way earlier in the Pete Carroll era. But, man, in the last couple of years, Seattle has drafted at an incredibly high level. And when you look around at other NFL teams, it's just not the same. You don't look at the Patriots roster and go, wow, look at 11 people on their starting lineup were drafted in the last five years in New England. It's just not true. It's not what happens. And... Uh, for Seattle to pull that off and draft at such a high level of success rate, I want to go through what they have because you got two running backs. Kenneth Walker was a 2022 second round pick. Uh, Zach Charbonnet was a rookie second rounder out of UCLA this year. On the offensive line, you got a left tackle, Charles Cross. That's a 2022 first round pick going into his second year. The right tackle on the other side of the football, Abraham Lucas, third round pick uh, in 2022 last year. The left guard, Damian Lewis, uh, was a 2020 third-round pick. The right guard, Phil Hayes, is a fourth-round pick in 2019. I mean, basically the entire offensive line in Seattle is young, drafted in the last five years, and drafted by Seattle. They've built it themselves. That's really cool. And means they've got a lot of potential. They keep building and developing these young guys. All three starting receivers in Seattle. Tyler Lockett we talked about, but DK Metcalf was a second-round pick in 2019. Homegrown. Dude's awesome. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think he's a future star in Seattle. First round pick this year in 2023. Got two linebackers in 2020. Darrell Taylor was a second round pick in 2020. Jordan Brooks was a first round pick in 2020. Starting linebackers in Seattle. You've got two corners in two years. You got Reek Woolen, who's a fifth round pick last year in 2022. And then you got a rookie corner this year, Devin Witherspoon, the number five overall pick. It's insane. Like they are just, the hit rate is crazy. And then... The backups in Seattle are also a lot of guys drafted by Seattle. Deanne Mike Morris, rookie fifth-round pick. Uh, linebacker Derek Hall, second-rounder uh, as who's a rookie. Linebacker uh, Boye Mafi is a 2022 second-round pick. Corner Trey Brown, 2021 fourth-round pick. Safety Jarrett Greed, rookie sixth-round pick. Backup center is a rookie fifth-round pick. Their left guard is a backup. Uh, their backup left guard is a rookie on Anthony Bradford out of the fourth round. Uh, backup left tackle Stone Forsythe, 2021 sixth-round pick. Got a corner, Kobe Bryant, 2022 fourth-round pick. It's guys, just young players everywhere in Seattle. They've drafted incredibly well. Got a lot of starters. A lot of guys are going to be in rotation uh, off the depth chart. It's crazy to me. And so I want to just give Seattle some shine because basically they drafted an entire offensive line the last four years. They drafted two stud corners, some great receivers, a ton of depth, and uh, I think that Seattle hit on some really important picks, which are guys that have to do with the passing game, the offensive line, receiving core at corner. And I think Seattle historically struggled drafting pass rushers. They just traded for a guy from Denver, or they brought in a guy from Denver, gave him a new contract. They're trying to build that defensive line. That's the only weakness here. Seattle just hasn't been able to draft well at. But my goodness, I mean, this is how 
Last time Seattle won a Super Bowl, this is how they did it. They drafted incredibly well for a couple of years in a row, built this incredible core of great players, and went on to win a Super Bowl. That's the Legion of Boom, how they were built. That team with Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, all those guys. And man, I think Seattle, this level of drafting is building a truly great team and they're heading towards dominance. And so I would not be shocked. Another thing working to their benefit in Seattle, they drafted really well. So a lot of the guys are young. They're on rookie contracts, so they're paying them less money. They're not paying their quarterback, Geno Smith, an insane amount of money either. That allows you to add free agents and build a great team around the rest of your low-paid guys who are playing at a high level. So, man, there's a recipe for success here in Seattle. And to me, Seattle's heading toward a situation where they could win a Super Bowl. Maybe not this year, but next year, the year after, their window's going to open up. As these young guys mature, this offensive line reaches their peak and their prime as a group. I mean... Man, I think Seattle, uh, they deserve a lot, a lot of respect because they have built a team the right way through drafting, through getting great players. And uh, it's hard to do and, and rare to see, actually, a team that drafts this well and has this many homegrown guys that are just playing at a high level. And, uh, you know, don't overlook Seattle. You know, I think that my, my second round of predictions will reflect my respect for them. But as you look at this t- roster, you look at this team, the way they built, you watch their preseason game, guys are flying all over the field, and you're like, I don't know, man, Pete Carroll's got another one. It kind of reminds me of Nick Saban in Alabama, where Nick Saban this year seems really confident and really comfortable, and is like, I got a good group this year. We're going to be awesome. I, I think it's a similar thing with Pete Carroll, where he's just going to quietly, low-key smile and He's built like a really, really impressive roster in Seattle with young guys drafting really well. And, you know, you know fortunately, Geno Smith is great. Um, I don't know, man. I, I love what they got going on in Seattle. I think it's just worthy of praise. Now, uh, this next segment, I got to drink some water real quick. I think this next segment should be really entertaining. Entertaining, interesting. Um, hopefully heartfelt, like really a good conversation because I went back and I went back and I watched the Gruden's QB camp appearance from Johnny Manziel a couple years ago, leading up to the NFL draft. He went to talk to John Gruden in the FFCA, the fired football's coaches association down in Florida. And, you know, I watched only, you know, a couple clips of the episode. I didn't have the heart to watch all the whole hour, but I, I would imagine that based on what I saw and the clips I pulled out of it, I would imagine this entire episode is a goldmine of hollow quotes from Johnny Manziel talking about all the work he's putting in, how serious he is. And I want to give you three clips today. I can't, if you're watching on YouTube, I can't show you the video. That would be, I don't even know if the audio, I think the audio is going to be allowed and not copyright struck by ESPN. Um, I think we can play the audio, not the video, but I want to play the audio clip here. Um, This is John Gruden asking Johnny Manziel, about his off-the-field stuff, if he's going to be a problem for a team that drafts him. Take a listen. Is there a lot of maintenance, Johnny? No, sir. Off the field? I mean, if I draft you in the first uh, round, all this stuff here, what, what, what is this? What am I getting? My mom always tells me there's a time and a place for everything. And, and during the spring, during, during after the Heisman, when things happen so fast, um, I, I, did, I did too much. And I, I put too much on my own plate and didn't. Didn't didn't say no enough and 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 should have should have said no more. 
Man, isn't that wild? It's disappointing, really. I, I think Johnny might even at the time have believed what he's saying. I don't know. He could be lying his tail off, trying to save face and, and become a first-round pick. But it's very obvious now, watching the ESPN, the I guess the Netflix documentary, watching all of the things that went down in his personal life, Johnny had severe addiction issues. And, you know, we now know leading up to the draft, he kept falling off the wagon. His agent's going crazy, like trying to just keep this guy and get him to the finish line. Agent's all worried he's going to fail a drug test. And Johnny was either lying his butt off or could acknowledge what he, you know, what was wrong with him and was unable to change. And at this point in his career, right, he's heading into the NFL, getting ready for the draft, saying whatever he needs to say to put out a good public image. And none of that's good. No matter what the the possibilities are here, whether he's lying or telling the truth and just can't change, because it's not because we know he was still kept having trouble and couldn't stay, you know, pass a drug test and was doing all this stuff and the agent's freaking out. And for him to either he believes it and just couldn't change again or he's lying. And that quote, I should have said no more. What's sad about that is he's aware of it. He's able to say like, hey, this isn't good. Does he believe it or not? I don't know. But there's a lot going on in that quote, man. It's very, it's not only eye-opening, it's a bit disturbing where you're like, man, this is a kid who just, couldn't get out of his own way. And I maintain that it's very, very sad. The whole Johnny Manziel storyline, how much money he made for college football and Texas A&M, the way that everyone was kind of complicit and just ignoring it and not really helping the guy who seemed like he was kind of going off the rails and almost encouraging his behavior. It's not great. And I imagine that position, if you're Johnny Manziel, getting grilled by John Gruden across the table from you, you got to lie your tail off. You're trying to keep it together. You can't let anyone know your dark secret that really you're partying like crazy, doing drugs, going insane off the field. If you're a mess behind the scenes, then and you, and you feel like you have to hide it. I mean, that's why when I walked away from Strong Opinion Sports for a while, I did HVAC. I really worked on myself. I went on a walkabout, did a road trip. I was a disaster. I called off my engagement. I was not doing well mentally or emotionally, and I knew... I had to take a break and get away. I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. And that Johnny Manziel never had the time or the ability to walk away and take a break and work on himself. Like, what if after his second year in college, he had said, I got an addiction problem. I got to walk away. Like, first of all, you can't admit that, right? You're, you can't take two years off of college football to solve your own personal stuff. You're going to miss your window as an athlete. NFL teams will never take you seriously. It's a, it's a disaster. So... It just it's not a realistic goal or option for him to say, hey, I gotta I gotta work on myself. I gotta go get therapy and go to addiction stuff and try to become a better person because I, I don't think if the way my life is headed, I'm not gonna work as a quarterback. That's not a, a realistic option for him. And what he really needed to do is go to the NFL, make as much money as humanly possible to maximize his potential before it all fell apart. And I think you can see that from Johnny Manziel. He's a guy just barely keeping it together, not doing well. As a guy who myself has not done well in the past, I can really understand that. And it all happened so fast for Johnny Menzel. Like he won the Heisman Trophy his first year as a starting quarterback. He's a sophomore in college, becomes this megastar. No one really knew how to handle that. Like he, he had to take online classes. He's getting mobbed everywhere. He's getting pictures taken of him. He's like on TMZ and ESPN every day. And I've talked about the Chick-fil-A Bowl where... 
He was drinking Fireball at halftime. That's someone who was in that locker room told me that. I believe that, absolutely. And there's clips of him in this Gruden's QB camp talking to John Gruden where Gruden asks him, like, tell me about this Chick-fil-A bowl because they had a big comeback in the second half. And he's like, you know, my teammates were just sheep. They needed someone to lead them. And you see video of him, like, yelling at his teammates on the sideline. And you're like, I bet his teammates hated him. He's a hypocrite. He's the most unprepared frat boy of college football telling them they need a leader. Like, I I can only imagine what his teammates thought of him at Texas A&M. And we know that his teammates in Cleveland on the Browns didn't really like him. And I think there's a big question mark. Why, when you watch that Netflix documentary of Johnny Manziel, why were none of his teammates in that documentary? I think it's because they all hate him. They got nothing good to say. They don't even want to participate. It's really fascinating to me. And so I don't want to play clip number three, uh, number two here because I really want to say this. I think the Netflix documentary is actually kind of shallow. I don't think it went as far as I wanted, and it was surface level. It talked about a lot of stuff we already knew, and they, I feel like they could have asked even tougher questions and really pushed Johnny a little bit. They didn't. I just wanted more time. I wanted more from that story. One episode, an hour of Johnny Menzel's story, it's not enough. And I think you could do a whole docu-series where you really dive into what happened and Johnny, let him profit off it, make some money doing it. Uh, but we really, you really need like the last dance type of like an uh, episodic docu-series about Johnny Menzel to really tell that story because there's so much more left on the table uh, from that untold documentary on Netflix. It drives me nuts. So anyway, here's clip number two. Went through high school and, and played three years and never won a state championship. To two years of, of being at A&M and never won, never won a national championship. Tired of not winning a championship. And, and I, I consider myself a winner and I hate losing. And yeah, I've had a decent record, but it's not, it's not up to par. It's not up to where I want it to be. It's, it's just not acceptable to me. It doesn't sit well with me. Um, losing games is not something that sits well and that I can sleep well at night knowing that we went out and got our It's so funny to hear Johnny Manziel say he's tired of not winning a championship because what he's insinuating here is that he's going to go to the NFL and try to win a Super Bowl. And I will always believe that part of why Johnny Manziel left college early, you know, he left after only two years as a starter. I'm going to the NFL. I'm trying to become, I'm trying to take my game to the next level is what he tells John Gruden in, uh, later on in the show. And I think what happened was he, I don't think he could do two more years at Texas A&M. I don't think he could keep it together for two more football seasons. He wasn't ready as a quarterback. He was a very average athlete, ran like a 4'7". He's five foot nothing. Who knows what his grades were like? I think Johnny Menzel knew, like, if I'm ever going to make the amount of money I need to in the NFL, I got to go now. I'm viewed as a first-round pick. I got to go now. I got to leave now. Because I don't think he could keep it together for more years in college football to behave well enough, to have good enough grades, to not get in trouble somewhere. He already had the NCAA breathing down his neck. And really what I believe about Johnny Menzel, his career was built like a Jenga tower. And he's just hoping that if I pull this block, it's not going to knock everything down. It was tenuous. It was barely staying afloat. And Johnny had to cash in while he could. But to hear him talk about winning a title when he's not watching any film is insane. Like that, I had when I had covered Johnny Manziel, I did that whole episode about the documentary. I barely talked about the film thing. To have no preparation and just be partying. And then talk about a title, talk about trying to lead your teammates. That's absurd. It does, no one's going to respect that approach. And I, I always have wondered if partying was kind of a coping method for Johnny Menzel, because I think the fame got to be too much for him. And 
he was a kid, man. His brain was still developing. You know, Johnny reminds me of like a Disney Channel child star who has all this fame and attention early on before their brain's fully developed. And they got to navigate all of this, this attention. And it's very hard. Like attention can really mess with your brain. And I encourage you, look up the name Angus Jones. He was the kid on How I Met Your... No, not How I Met Your... What's that show with Charlie Sheen? Um... Two and a Half Men. He was a kid on Two and a Half Men. Men, men, menly, menly, men, men, men. I never watched the show, but I saw that. I know the intro. And I, how do I say this? I want to be very careful with my words here. I lived in LA briefly. Um, I worked on a movie and my boss was a director. And the guy, I, for lack of, he was my boss for lack of a better term. I just followed him around with the camera. I did the best I could. And he was dating Angus Jones' mom. And Angus Jones had a hard life, man. Like, I encourage you, go look up current pictures of Angus Jones. Compare that to what he looked like on the TV show. I think the pictures speak for themselves. I don't want to, you know, leave any personal information out there. I don't want to get myself in trouble somehow. But my point is that I, I've, I've been around and, and seen the impact of being a child star can have on a person. And it's hard. When you get that much attention and that much money, fame, attention, money, when you're young and still a kid and not quite developed as a human, it can be really tough. And I think we saw that exactly happen to Johnny Manziel. He's a guy who I don't think was prepared at all for the position he was put in at all. So I want to play clip number three. I, I just, Johnny's sad, man. It's a really sad story and it's not a shock. He's not doing anything. I think Johnny's still in the middle of a really tough, depressive episode and I don't think he's at all over what happened to him. So anyway, here's clip number three. Take a listen. Everybody's going to want you to be doing commercials, going to functions. Everybody's going to want to meet Johnny Manziel. Football comes first. Yeah. Football is more important than Trump's anything, any endorsement, any appearance, anything like that. Football and my teammates, those guys are my focus. Those guys, that's, I mean, that's what I care about. I don't care about being in the public, being on the internet. That's that's not who I am. I, I never got that attention from when I was growing up. I don't need that attention now. You know, I'm I'm not trying to attack Johnny Manziel, but it is comical. He cuts him off and says, football comes first. And it's like, those are such hollow words. You're saying the right thing. I understand. And from a PR perspective, you're doing exactly what you got to do to become a first round pick. But that's just not true about him. Football comes first. No, there's so many other things you're putting before football. And... The audacity to say that, and I don't think it's audacious. I think it's a guy, again, I said, Johnny's career was like a Jenga tower. He's barely holding it together, just trying to make sure if he pulls this block, it doesn't all fall down. And I think Johnny's just saying exactly the right things he needs to say to get the money he can and run. But, you know, he went to Vegas before a game on a Sunday. On a Saturday before an NFL game, he went to Vegas hoping to fly to the NFL game on Sunday. What? That's insane. That's the exact you know, example of a guy who's reckless and probably really depressed. And when you're depressed and struggling, you don't care about the consequences of your actions. That's Johnny Menzel. That's what, that's what that story is. And so I just want to maintain, there's so much more to the Johnny Menzel story we'll never know. But if you want an entertaining, go watch the Johnny Menzel untold documentary on Netflix. And then after that, track down the episode and go watch the John Gruden's QB camp episode with Johnny Menzel. It's great comedy because you know everything he's saying is just not true. You're like, 
This guy's lying his butt off, trying to put himself in the best position possible for the draft. And I encourage you, if you want to have a, a good two hours of your life, watch the Netflix documentary followed by the Gruden's QB camp. It will be a wildly fun time, very entertaining and very sad. It's a really, it's a, it's, it's, I mean, if you're a sick, twisted person like me, that's a fun afternoon, but it's also really heartbreaking. And the story of a guy who just didn't get the support he needed from the people around him. And I would argue was let down by people who turned a blind eye at Texas A&M, just happy to profit off of him, happy to use him to get ahead in whatever they needed. And what Johnny needed as a person is not what Johnny needed as a football player. For Johnny's career, the best thing was to leave for the NFL after two years at Texas A&M, or I guess three years at A&M, but two years starting, go to the NFL, make as much money as possible being a first-round pick. And it's they talk about it in the Netflix documentary. If he had kept things a little more together, not gotten drunk on a golf course, he might have got drafted way earlier in the first round by Houston. Like he, I mean, I think they had the number one pick and drafted Jadavian Clowney that year. That would have been way more money for Johnny. So Johnny could barely keep it together as it was, but... He didn't need what he was given. Johnny Manziel, you know, everyone was hush-hush. Everyone was quiet. They put the money he could make in his football career ahead of what he needed as a human being. What Johnny Manziel needed as a human being was to be sat down and say, kid, what's going on? You need therapy. You need to work on yourself. He might not have listened. But I don't know that anyone at A&M, who his college that was making millions and millions of dollars profiting off of what he was doing for them. I don't think anyone sat him down and said, Hey Johnny, we, we got to figure this out. This isn't working for you. I know it's working on the field and you're doing great, but you're a disaster as a human. And it's really sad. Like that's why you got to have really good people around you that you trust to keep you grounded. And it's, if you don't have an inner circle of people you trust, that can say no to you to tell you you're wrong. It's a big problem. Johnny didn't have that. Johnny had people who enabled him and let it go on and on and on and go too far until it lost control. And then Johnny would listen to nobody. And if you're a young person out there listening, remember, you got to have people in your life that can call you out. You got to have people that can keep you in check. You got to have people you trust that can say no to you. And I don't think Johnny had that. I don't think he had anyone pushing back against what he was doing. And that's how this happens. This is how a guy, Johnny Manziel, Ends up with, I, I would imagine he's got some money because he lives in a fairly nice house in a nice part of Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona. But I, I just have a lot of questions how he's really doing. And I think people were able to push aside how he was really doing because they were happy with how he was doing on the football field. Or they were happy with how much money he was making them or this or that. And no one really stopped and said, how are you doing as a human being? Not a football player, but as a human being. And I think if you ask Johnny Mansell the human being how he was doing... During all of that, the Heisman Trophy, everything. I mean, he might have told you he was doing good, but I, I really go back to, I think the partying and the drinking and the drugs, it was all him kind of trying to escape the pressure and this insane scenario he found himself in. And I don't know, man. I just go back to, you got to have people that can challenge you and, and make you grow as a person. Because if you don't have people that can say no to you, it's a massive problem in your life. Uh, we talk about being a good human. I try to on the show. Uh, how about a big win for Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach? On a human level, the, the 49ers just had joint practices with the Raiders leading up to their first preseason game. And during their joint practices, when they interacted, Kyle Shanahan actually took time to apologize to Raiders defensive end Max Crosby. 
Max Crosby was drafted in the fourth round in 2019, and apparently that the reason why Kyle Shanahan was apologizing to Max Crosby was the way that the 49ers treated him during their pre-draft process, their interviews, stuff like that. First of all, I think it's a cool, genuine moment for an adult man to pull someone aside and say, hey, man, I apologize. I was wrong. I didn't treat you very well. I, I, I just was in the wrong, and I'm sorry. It's To be able to say you're sorry is huge. These are guys in kind of a macho sport taking that time. I think that's a genuine, cool thing to do. And, you know, Max Crosby, fourth-round pick 2019, came out of nowhere. He had 10 sacks as a rookie. He ended up getting a $94 million four-year contract with the Raiders. Like, he is killing it now, but nobody in the pre-draft process, I believe he went to, it was either Western, Eastern, or Central Michigan, one of the one of the non-Michigan, Michigan schools, the the little lower-tier Division I schools. No one believed in him. No one saw what he could become. And Max Crosby was a home run. And I think it was a learning moment for Kyle Shanahan that, like, no matter how good we think you can be, we got to treat you with a higher level of respect. And... Shanahan said the 49ers were kind of jerks to him during their pre-draft interview. And uh, Max Crosby responded to that to reporters. He said he felt like every team that interviewed him didn't really take him seriously. And he remembers everything. He carries it with him. They're like scars that he will never you know, let go of. And what's insinuated there is that Max Crosby uses those ways he were treated during the pre-draft process as motivation to show everyone what he can do. But he also went out of his way to praise Kyle Shanahan, said he's a great play caller, a lot of respect for him. I would imagine, though, it was appreciated that Max Crosby, you know, came out and said, you know, or that Kyle Shanahan, excuse me, came out and said, we were wrong. We treated you wrong. Uh, I apologize. That's so cool. And it makes me like Kyle Shanahan even more. And I just, uh, that genuine moment from a head coach in the NFL, you'll love to hear that. All right, uh, some news this week. First of all, veteran running back Dalvin Cook is joining the New York Jets. He signed a one-year contract worth up to $8.6 million with incentives. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook's only 28 years old. He spent six years in Minnesota, ran for 5,993 yards, seven yards shy of 6,000. In his career, Dalvin Cook's run for 47 touchdowns. He also got running back uh, the Jets. I mean, the Jets got running back Brees Hall back from injury, so... Um, the running back room in, in the Jets' locker room is loaded. Uh, Brees Hall is recovering from a torn ACL. He's back. They got Dalvin Cook, who's going to be another week probably before he practices. But that running group, running back group for the Jets is Michael Carter, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, Israel Abanacanda, who I love his name. Abanacanda! Yeah, that's so fun to say. Can we call Anthony Richardson that? I know we can't, but Abanacanda? I want to say that all day. It's so fun. They got one other guy, Zonovan Knight, I believe, in the Jets' running back room. I like what they got going on. You can never have running back injuries are so common. You can never have too many of them. One guy gets hurt, next man up. I mean, you just never know how many running backs you're going to go through during a season. And the question really in the Jets locker room, the biggest question, I think, in New York is not Aaron Rodgers, not the running back room, not their defensive line, not this, not that, not the receiving core. The massive looming question in the Jets locker room and the thing I think I might have to dock a couple wins for, and my prediction was pretty confident in the Jets, their offensive line concerns me a lot. And if that offensive line isn't great, it could mess up their entire offense. So I don't care how great your running back room is, if no one's able to block at a high level, it's not going to matter. Like, you can have Dalvin Cook getting stuffed in the backfield because there's constant pressure, no one's getting doing a good job blocking. Um, 
I don't know, man. I, I'm really the more I look at that offensive line in New York, the more I'm like, I want to think it's going to work, but I think it's still a year away for the Jets. I think it's going to be um, a year where they're building towards a Super Bowl, maybe next year in New York, rather than uh, a big playoff run, maybe a Super Bowl run this year in 2023. So I don't know, man. They added Dalvin Cook. That's pretty cool. I hope it helps them, but it's not going to help their offensive line necessarily. So that's a concern. Now, uh, another running back signed with an NFL team, same division even, the AFC East. Running back Ezekiel Elliott is joining the New England Patriots. They signed a one-year, $3 million deal. It's worth up to $6 million with incentives. Uh, You know, similar to Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott's only 28 years old. He spent seven years in Dallas and uh, ran for over 8,000 yards, 68 touchdown runs plus 12 touchdown catches. My math says that's 80 touchdowns in seven years. Pretty dang good. Um, He got cut by Dallas this offseason because his contract was going to be really expensive, over $6 million. And given his production level, it didn't make sense to pay their running back over $6 million in Dallas. And so the Cowboys made a move to cut him. But I I really like the Patriots signing him as basically their backup running back for three to six million dollars, depending on how he does. That's a really good move by them. Uh, It kind of it gives him depth at running back behind Ramondre Stevenson, their starting running back. And again, if if Ramondre Stevenson gets hurt, you're going to need Ezekiel Elliott. It's actually a great move. I think running back injuries are so common. And, you know, Brees Hall got injured last year in New York. The Patriots are going to run the football a ton. And they're going to need their running game. So having depth at running back and a pretty solid running back who's led the NFL in rushing at least twice that I can remember. I don't know off the top of my head how many times he's led the NFL in rushing, but he's he's been outstanding. And, uh, you know, Patriots adding Ezekiel Elliott, it's a, not a massive move that's going to be like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? But what it does is give them depth at running back to survive an injury from Ramondre Stevenson and give him a break when he's winded, whatever. I like that, and uh, I'm really curious to see how Zeke does this year as the number two back in New England. And I would he's going to be the number two back, right? Like, does anyone think he's going to beat out Ramondre Stevenson or somehow start over Ramondre? I, that's not possible, right? At best, it's a one-two punch where they rotate each other, but I don't see anyone— Ezekiel, it's not going to take the place of Ramondre Stevenson. I can't imagine that, and it, it, Patriots fans write and tell me about that, but I, I don't see him—he's not the starting running back. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me. He's behind Ramondre Stevenson, and um, he's going to be depth and maybe a a one-two punch when the other guy gets beat up or needs a break. So I want to talk about Washington because the the really interesting story in Washington this year is their unproven quarterback, Sam Howell, and their offensive coordinator, Eric Biennemi, who's trying to show he's a great coordinator without Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes helping him out. And I believe nobody wants Eric Bieniemy. Nobody needs Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell to work more than their head coach in Washington, Riverboat Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera needs a winning season. He spent nine years in Carolina. One of those years in 2015, he went to a Super Bowl. He had Cam Newton as NFL MVP. They went 15 and one. They were amazing. They lost to Denver in the Super Bowl. He's a defensive head coach who. You know, that's a dying breed in the NFL. These defensive coaches are just not getting a lot of jobs because if your offensive coordinator does great, he's the guy who helps your quarterback and he's going to leave. Then you got to find a new one. In three years in Washington, um, this is what Ron Rivera has done. 7-9, 6-7, 6-8, 6-9, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 6-8, 
seven and ten, and last year was eight, eight, and one. He's never won more than eight games in his three years in Washington. For his career, he's 98 and 90 as a head coach. And Washington just brought in a new owner. They got bought by Josh Harris. So Washington's new owner is going to be evaluating everything this year, taking notes, figuring out who we should keep, who we should get rid of. They're probably going to make a lot of changes in their front office in Washington. I hope they do, given the stories I've heard about that front office. It's really bad. So what I'm saying is Ron Rivera's got to win more than seven or eight games this year. He needs the offense to work or else he's probably fired because he takes care of the defensive side of the football. They've had some pretty good defenses in Washington. In 2020 and 2022, they were both top three in yards allowed. Top three defenses in the NFL, you could argue by that metric. But it's not the 90s. It's not a defensive-led league anymore. Running backs and defenses don't win you games the way they used to. Now it's a passing league. It's a quarterback-driven league. I think likely, no matter what happens in Washington, Ron Rivera, this is his last head coaching job. I just can't imagine. Uh, I could see a team that's got a weakness on defense and a great veteran quarterback maybe hiring Ron Rivera to come in and button things up and do the best you can, but that's just not the NFL anymore. We, we have lots of young quarterbacks who are going to need good coaching and offensive coaches. If Ron Rivera doesn't work out in Washington this year, he's probably a defensive coordinator somewhere else if he wants to or retired. And again, I don't think after Washington, whenever this comes to an end, I don't think he's going to get another head coaching job. But what if Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell do really well? Eric Bieniemy is going to leave and go become a head coach. And then guess what? You're going to need a new coach to work with Sam Howell. It's not a long-term plan I feel great about. Regardless, maybe you elevate Eric Bieniemy to head coach, but then it's kind of awkward. Do you keep Ron Rivera as defensive coordinator? Will he take the demotion? That's a weird move to make too. So... What do you do? And uh, you look around, even if Washington does really well, what is their ceiling as a football team this year? Because the Giants, Philly, and Dallas were all playoff teams last year. So I have no idea what to make of what's going on there. And I don't know what their future is. How good can Washington really be with Sam Howell? If they're competing for a playoff spot, that feels like the only way they're going to hang on to Ron Rivera as their head coach. So Ron Rivera, man... He's the, the one guy that the most is like, please let this work. Please let this work. This has to be great. He's crossing his fingers. He's crossing his fingers, crossing their fingers. He's doing everything he can. He really needs this quarterback and coach to do well. And uh, if he doesn't, I think Ron Rivera, 7-9, and 7-10, 8-8-1, eight, eight hasn't won more than eight games his entire time in Washington. As Josh Harris, the new owner, evaluates everything, one of the things he could cut first the head coach, Ron Rivera. So he is really hoping that the offense does well and gives them run support in Washington. I got to take a break. My, my phone, I usually use Google uh, Drive to Google Docs to look at my Patreon questions. My phone's freaking out. It's not opening anything. It's everything's being, it's just not working. I'm going to restart my phone and uh, I hope things work out. Give me a second and then we'll get into Patreon questions. One uh, Uno momento. All right, the problem has been solved. Let's now answer questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. A dollar gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. Patreon is a huge, huge deal for me. I really need the help from Patreon, so please support the show. Now, if you support the show on Patreon, 
I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. I want to be very upfront and clear about that. My only guarantee is I look at every single write-in with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. I post a thread every week. Every Friday, I post the thread for the next week. Uh, these are people who wrote in today and I feel really good about it. We got a great group of questions today. So let's start us off with the feel is real. He says, trying to, oh my gosh, no, no, no. I started reading my notes. Huh? The feel is real says, with Trey Lance seemingly out of contention for the QB1 job in San Francisco, what do you think these preseason games mean for him? Do you think if Trey Lance does well, he might get traded, or will the 49ers stash him in case Brock Purdy goes down again? So I think that Trey Lance is trying to show the world what he can do. Whether it's prove to the 49ers he can play, or prove to another team that might trade for him he can play, he's got to play well regardless, or else his football career is going to be over really quickly. I think the best case scenario for Trey Lance would be a team like Minnesota, who's got Kirk Cousins, a veteran quarterback, trading for him. He's from Minnesota. There's some uncertainty how long Kirk is going to be in Minnesota. Bring in Trey Lance earlier the better. Let him learn the system. Get him in practice. Start evaluating what he can do. That's a great thing for Minnesota to do. See if maybe Trey Lance has any potential. At one point, the 49ers were so committed to him, Trey Lance, that they made Trey their day one starter. They built an entire offense around him. I think Kyle Shanahan, with the Trey Lance draft pick and trying to make him their starter, he was chasing what he was able to do with RG3 in Washington. He really liked having a mobile quarterback in Washington who could run the zone read and do really crazy stuff running the football. RG3 got hurt. He never really had a quarterback who could do physically what RG3 could do ever again until Trey Lance. He had Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Ryan, but never again had that ability level with Trey Lance or RG3. And so he built an entire offense around Trey Lance. And that's not what we saw in the preseason game one. Things are now different with Brock Purdy at quarterback. They're trying to make Trey Lance play more like Brock Purdy, be a distributor, hang in the pocket, get the ball to receivers as they're moving, let them make big plays with their legs. It's more of the typical Kyle Shanahan offense we saw four years with Matt Ryan or um, gosh, all the other, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, everybody he had success with over the years. And Sam Darnold, in my opinion, is the true QB number two in the 49ers system. I mean, I, they started Trey Lance in game number one against the Raiders. I thought Sam Darnold did way better. He's been in the system for a way shorter amount of time, and yet he looks more comfortable. He understands his pre-snap reads. He's getting the ball up more quickly. And the 49ers have no incentive to trade Trey Lance. I mean, his trade value is zero. You, you, spent, you, you moved up in the draft, you went and got him, you traded a lot to make that happen. You're never going to get a return on your value, but why would the 49ers give up Trey Lance for nothing? If he's a guy who's, again, at one point, they built an entire offense around him. At one point, he was their franchise quarterback. Going into last year, he was their day one starter. So why would they give up on a player they think has potential? Well, just, if you're going to offer them a fourth round pick, they don't need a fourth round pick so badly. They give up on a quarterback they once viewed as their starter. Why would they do that? So unless they get like a second round pick or a first round pick, they're not going to give up Trey Lance, I don't think. Um, I, I That conversation would be interesting. A third round pick, maybe you make a move. Because you can still get a starter in the third round pretty pretty simply. Um, but I don't know. There's no incentive to trade Trey Lance. And it, it's just a weird situation. I think that leads me. Let's just answer, go right into my next question. Because Lucas writes in and Lucas says, Yo, Zach. Who's one player or coach you feel like never got a fair shot to reach their potential that you are still convinced can get there? Trey Lance. Trey Lance is a guy who never got to reach his potential. 
That might be controversial. That might be weird. I just criticized him a lot on yesterday's show, but Trey Lance is a great athlete. We talk about Anthony Richardson being this great athlete, being able to do crazy good stuff. So is Trey Lance. Maybe not quite the great athlete that um, Anthony Richardson is, but still, dude can run at a high level, do some big time stuff. And the one time Trey Lance got the opportunity to be the franchise quarterback, his first game was in Chicago last year. It was a mud bowl. It was horrible weather to show what you can do throwing the football. No one was going to throw the ball well. Go watch the video of the Chicago Bears celebrating after the game. Literally hydroplaning, sliding through the grass because it's so, you know, flooded with water. That's not a game where you're going to get to show what you can do throwing the football as a quarterback. And so he's not, Trey Lance isn't suited to play like Brock Purdy. He's not a distributor. He's just going to hang in the pocket. He's not super accurate, doesn't have great anticipation. He maybe could with different coaching that would invest more in him, but my suspicion is Trey Lance could run the Browns system with Kevin Stefanski very, very well. It's much more similar to what he did in college. He was under center, heavy play action, faking the run, throwing the ball downfield, running around to escape sacks. Um, And when the 49ers committed to him, they built a system around him. And why would... Kyle Shanahan, a coach I respect, who I really love and believe in. He's an amazing coach. He's proved it for years and years. If Trey Lance is so horrible, why would they give him a shot? Why would Trey Lance have... They had him for a whole year, and after that year, their conclusion was, we're going to bench Jimmy Garoppolo. He's now a starting quarterback on another football team. We're going to bench Jimmy G, our longtime starter, and go with Trey Lance. We're going to build an entire offense around him. At one point, the 49ers were confident in Trey Lance. That doesn't mean nothing. He must have potential because why would smart people put him in a position he wasn't ready for if they didn't believe in him? I valued, I value Kyle Shanahan's opinion so much that he once believed in him, it must mean something. That's why I say he's not garbage. Trey Lance must have something he can bring to the table. And that's why they have no incentive to trade him. That's why they're hanging on to him. That's a player who just needs a coach to believe in him. He needs a reset. Trey Lance needs to go somewhere else, in my opinion, and... Maybe sit behind Kirk Cousins, take some time. He needs what Zach Wilson's getting in New York with the Jets. Time to sit behind a really good quarterback, learn and grow, take the pressure off. I, people don't understand how much pressure can mess with you psychologically. When you're a top three pick viewed as the savior of the franchise, that's a lot. It's hard to escape that. And what Trey Lance really needs is a new team with a coach who believes in him and an opportunity to sit to learn, to build some confidence, to grow as a player. He needs all that. And maybe he gets that in in San Francisco, but I don't think he's got a coach who's got a high level of confidence in him anymore, who's really trying to build a system around him. I don't understand why coaches don't do a better job saying, hey, you know the thing our quarterback's done really good in the past? Let's do that. Let's work to their strengths, the things they're comfortable doing. And then we can slowly add stuff and build on that. But I think right now you're seeing Trey Lance trying to be fit. He's a a square peg trying to be fit into a round hole. It's not working. He's not ever going to, I think, fit into exactly the same offense and the same system Brock Purdy can run at a high level. That's why Sam Darnold's better suited to be the backup right now in San Francisco because the stuff they're doing on offense works better to Sam Darnold's strengths than Trey Lance. Rant is over, but I think Trey Lance still has potential. I want to see him on another team, whether it's, you know, gosh, Atlanta would be really interesting. Tennessee, I don't know. There's not a lot of availability right now at quarterback. We're teams that need a quarterback, but I mean, I want to see Trey Lance go somewhere else. It would be so interesting. And 
I think the kid still can play, but he needs a different situation. Now, Ant-Man writes in. These, these all three questions lead so well into each other. I love it. Ant-Man writes in and says, Greetings, Zach's Orbs of Vision. Hope all is well. Orbs of Vision is a fun one. I like that. Um, orbs of Vision. <laughs> That's what eyeballs are, I guess. Um, Ant-Man continues. Uh, by the way, I didn't know Ant-Man listened to the show. Ant-Man, thanks for saving the world in... Uh, you know, what was that thing? Endgame. You saved everything. Is Ant-Man really watching? Is that Paul Rudd with an ant costume? I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah, that's so nerdy and weird. Why would I say that? Ant-Man continues and says, after the first week of the preseason, there have been varying results at quarterback. Varying results in quarterback play, he says. For instance, Trey Lance looked awful in his first start and people are talking about possible trade destinations. Meanwhile, individuals like Stetson Bennett look solid and people have uh, been questioning if teams may move to cheaper a cheaper option to take a similar approach to the Commanders and Falcons attempt to make it work with a later round quarterback who's on a cheap contract. Also, if you could see one backup quarterback get a shot in a starting role, who would you be most interested in? Thanks for reading my post with your eyeballs. Glad to see you back making episodes. Thank you so much, Lucas. I appreciate it. Uh, no, sorry, that's Ant-Man. Ant-Man, thank you. Lucas was the last guy. Ant-Man, thank you. Um... We are reaching a point at the quarterback position in the professional level of we're reaching a point of saturation, believe it or not, where look around the league. Who needs a quarterback next year? I don't know yet. We'll know, you know, come March. But right now, it's actually not obvious who needs a quarterback in the draft next year. There's a bunch of quarterbacks available. You're going to have Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix. All of them could be first-round picks, and I think all of them, if you build a system— to fit their strengths, you could have a really good starting quarterback in the NFL. I believe that. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Drake May, Caleb Williams, they're all like potential first-round quarterbacks. Then you got guys like Sam Hartman, Jordan Travis, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Jalen Daniels at Kansas. They're different people and different players, but both are really awesome. There's so many quarterbacks right now. It's a, it's a saturation point where there's all these college guys that have potential that are about to enter the NFL what are you going to do with them? I mean, you have backup quarterbacks right now in preseason, like Dorian Thompson, Robinson, and Aiden O'Connell, who look like starting caliber quarterbacks that are backups because there's nowhere for them to go. And I think what's going to happen is having a saturation of quarterbacks in the quarterback market is going to pull quarterback value down. You're always going to see guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Herbert. They're going to get paid insane amounts of money because what they can do is special. But I, I think it's going to make less and less sense to give guys like Ryan Tannehill and Dak Prescott massive contracts when you can find what they can do in the draft for way cheaper. It's going to pull the quarterback market down. You're going to have a huge divide between the best quarterbacks in the NFL making a ton of money and then the average quarterbacks like Tannehill's not going to get a massive contract ever again. A guy like that won't because you can honestly replace them with a guy in the draft who's fairly talented on a rookie contract who does way less money than it cost you way less money than Ryan Tannehill or Dak Prescott. And so I think Atlanta and Washington are kind of ahead of the curve saying we got this quarterback, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter. We think they can do enough to win us games this year. Why would we make a, you know, why are we going to sign Derek Carr for $150 million that we can sign, you know, add Sam Howell's on a, a rookie fifth round contract that's a way cheaper deal and allows us to build a better team around the quarterback. 
If Sam Howell does really well and is a similar amount of productive to Derek Carr, that's an insane value. $150 million versus whatever, you know, Sam Howell makes, it can't be anywhere near what, you know, Gardner Minshew made like $800,000 his first couple of years in the NFL as, a, I believe, a six-round pick. You don't make a lot of money later in the draft. You make very little pennies on the dollar compared to other starters around the league. And so if you can pay a quarterback less money and build a great team around them, that's potential for a Super Bowl. That's why Philly was able to get to a Super Bowl last year. They built this incredible roster because they were paying Jalen Hurts second-round rookie quarterback money. And again, we're going to see these elite quarterbacks get huge money, but very similar to what you're seeing in real life today, where you have the elites at the top, the Jeff Bezoses, the Bob Igers making gratuitous, insane amounts of money, and then you got guys like you and me doing our best, but we're barely getting by. I think there's going to be a huge wage gap even in the NFL soon because you're going to have the Herberts of the NFL getting paid insane amounts of money, of course, because they're worth it, but... Anyone you're not sure is worth the money, I think you're going to not see get paid in the future because, again, why pay Dak Prescott $100 million when you can just draft Bo Nix, when you can draft Michael Penix Jr., when you can draft... I think Sam Hartman is an interesting guy who might be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. He could be a second-round pick. You know how much cheaper and more valuable that is? You have guys sitting at home right now who can't get on the field. Guys like, in the past, Carson Wentz would have been given a ton of money to go play for a team like Washington. They did that last year. It didn't work. And people have learned, hey, why give a, a quarterback you're not sure about a ton of money when you could just pay your young quarterback next to nothing? I think it's going to be, what, what's going to happen here? To sum up everything I said, average quarterbacks are going to get replaced by young quarterbacks. That's what's going to happen in the future because the quarterback market's going to get oversaturated. And what's that? that's going to result in teams having less desperation in the quarterback market. You're not going to see teams go, we better trade our franchise for Ryan Tannehill because we got nothing else. That's a good thing for quarterbacks. It's going to mean higher level quarterback play, teams that are not giving quarterbacks insane contracts that they're not deserving of. Again, Dak Prescott is totally overpaid. It's absurd. He, he should not make as much money as he does. I think he makes more than Patrick Mahomes. Let me, let me Google that. I think that's true. Patrick Mahomes averaged out highest, let's just look up highest paid NFL QBs in order. I believe Dak Prescott, highest paid, oh gosh, I, I tapped that horribly. Highest paid, I want. I really want to do the work and figure this out. Highest paid, paid NFL QBs in order. These are the highest paid quarterbacks in 2023. Aaron Rodgers, at the time this was written, was at the top. Lamar uh, and uh, actually, you know, Justin, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, Dak Prescott is tied for ninth. Mahomes is seventh. Dak Prescott makes $40 million. Patrick Mahomes makes 45 a year. How is that? How is Dak Prescott only $5 million less valuable than Patrick Mahomes? That doesn't make any sense. The Cowboys are massively overpaying Dak Prescott. That shouldn't happen. And in this future reality, I see where we're headed in the NFL. It's not going to happen. Because let, let's do the math here. Where are... Who needs a quarterback next year? Where is Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix going to go? Who needs a quarterback so bad? Like, you know what I mean? We're running out of spots for quarterbacks to go to. If Dallas can draft Bo Nix late in the first round, they should. That'd be a great move for them. Have a, a cheap quarterback who's really talented, probably a better athlete than Dak Prescott is. That's an interesting idea there. I want to switch to D'Lo. We're kind of leading into the next one. So D'Lo writes in, by the way, D'Lo, I really appreciate you. D'Lo says, 
Hey, Zachary Dackery. I love your content and I look forward to your unique views and opinions every week. Thank you for the time and effort you so obviously put in. I want to know the best way to support you, listening-wise. On which platforms do you make the most money? No, that's, that's actually not what I wanted to read. I'm missing something here. What am I missing? I am missing... Oh, you know what? That's, I do want to read that, but I want to actually go with Joshua next. Joshua's the one I was thinking of. I'm sorry. We'll get to you in a second, D'Lo. I appreciate you, man. But Joshua writes in and says, Hey, Zach, which teams should tank? And by that, I mean, which teams do you think would be most improved by switching out their current quarterback for Caleb Williams or Drake May for next year? So I think Arizona should absolutely tank. Arizona, I don't think you should try to lose. Trying to lose games is really bad for you. Um, but if you keep Kyler Murray on the sidelines recovering, they didn't add anybody in free agency. You just have a ta- team that's not very talented and you do your best with what you have. But I think Arizona's going to likely have two top five picks between their draft pick and they also have Houston's. That's a big deal. But we're entering a, this is what I wanted to talk about, why I wanted to switch to Joshua. We're entering a very weird position in the quarterback market where everyone has a plan. And if every quarterback does fairly well this year, Baker Mayfield, the unknown in Tampa, does well. If Desmond Ritter does well, if Sim Howell does well, you're going to reach a point where you're like, where do these quarterbacks go? Who's going to need a quarterback in late March? Like, I'm not sure. Who could draft a quarterback? Who could need one? In the draft, maybe Tennessee, but Tennessee has Malik Willis and Will Levis. And Malik Willis looked really good in preseason week one. Maybe he's their future quarterback. That's why they drafted him. That's also why they drafted Will Levis. Is Tennessee going to draft another quarterback? Do they need to? I'm not sure. Maybe Tampa. If Baker doesn't work in Tampa. But Baker also could be amazing and become the franchise quarterback in Tampa. Could go either way. The Patriots, if Mac Jones is underwhelming, could move on from Mac Jones. Um... The Rams have Matthew Stafford. He's aging and very expensive. Dallas has Dak Prescott. I think that's an underrated option where they could, I don't know if financially, I don't know if the contract allows them to move on, but based on his play, I think they're going to be ready to move on after this year. Um, Jared Goff in Detroit could be great, but if you could have Caleb Williams in Detroit instead of Jared Goff, would you take that? Who's got more potential? Probably Caleb Williams. Um, the Raiders have Aiden O'Connell. I don't, I really think Aiden O'Connell could be their franchise quarterback moving forward in the future. Like given time to grow, he looks amazing. And is he good enough? He's maybe more like Davis Mills where, you know, the team doesn't like the draft pick they took him in. So they're not comfortable committing to him, but I don't know the Raiders are going to need a quarterback in the draft next year. I think Atlanta, if they could, would replace Desmond Ritter with Caleb Williams for sure. That'd be a, an upgrade. Maybe Houston to Houston's not going to have a first-round pick next year, but definitely I would take Caleb Williams over C.J. Stroud. If C.J. Stroud is bad this year, move on from him if you can, but I don't know that they're going to be able to. I have no idea who's even going to have the number one pick, and I say that because Arizona's been impressing me with their their coaching staff. I, they're, they might be a better defense than I thought. They, they beat up on Denver. Maybe Denver needs a quarterback after Russell Wilson, but think they got a couple years before they can actually get out of their contract financially. So my point is that It's going to be really interesting who fails and who does well. And I see an influx of quarterbacks about to enter the NFL. Like five to eight, four to eight, really good quarterbacks are going to enter the draft next year. If that's true, if there are really like four really good quarterbacks, I'm not sure where they're all going to go. That's a weird problem to have. It's going to create an oversaturation in the market. That's so fascinating to me. Like I, I, it's a very rare situation that I haven't seen so far and uh, gosh, I find it interesting. 
Now, Justin writes in, Justin says, howdy, Zach. I'm sure you've seen that photo of Carson Wentz floating around where he's training in the gear of all three teams he's played for. And I wanted to see if you think Carson will find his way back on a roster. I can maybe see if the Raiders and if Jimmy Garoppolo goes down, maybe he goes to the Raiders. But I want to get your thoughts on the matter. Justin, I think it's very possible Carson Wentz is done in the NFL. Nobody wants him. He struggled on the field. He can't stay healthy. He's got a bit of an ego, I think, too, where he wants to be the viewed as a number one quarterback and I think has to earn that position if he's ever going to get it again. And if Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt, I don't want to see Carson Wentz go to Vegas. I want to see Aiden O'Connell be their starting quarterback. I'm, I want to see this kid. Aiden O'Connell looked great week one of the preseason. That's a kid. Throw him into the fire. Let's see what he can do. That'd be interesting. If the right quarterback gets hurt, he could get a shot. Maybe Dak Prescott, who the Cowboys have a real shot at the playoffs this year, maybe even a Super Bowl if Dak plays well. Kirk Cousins, that's a Minnesota team that could be in contention that needs a quarterback good enough to keep them going. But the NFL is full. Like, the Lions have Teddy Bridgewater. Are you going to get rid of... Teddy Bridgewater is going to know your system. If, if Jared Goff gets hurt in midseason, Teddy Bridgewater knows the, the system. Why would you replace Teddy Bridgewater with Carson Wentz? That makes no sense. I want to repeat this. The theme of today's show is that the quarterback market is heading towards a saturation point. That's crazy, but that's true, I think. And you're going to have an influx of really good quarterbacks coming in and nowhere for them to go. Carson Wentz is done. Why would you ever pay Carson Wentz again when you can get other quarterbacks for way cheaper that have more potential and don't have the baggage he has? So, yeah, it's interesting, man. I've really, I'm going to call this episode probably Anthony Richardson QB1 and quarterback market oversaturation. That's such a fascinating concept that I, I think we, we tapped into something interesting there that I, I think is, uh, you know, I want to say this now. Sometimes I've said stuff. I, I really genuinely, there was a time, and I was wrong about this, but I remember that when the Joe Burrow was getting ready to be drafted and the Bengals had the number one overall pick, I said, hey, uh, Joe Burrow should pull an Eli Manning and refuse to go there. Now, that was wrong. He's actually overcome a lot of the dysfunction in Cincinnati. He'd done better than I ever thought. Went to a Super Bowl. But what I'm saying here is that I was, I really believe I was like the first person to say that. About two weeks after I said that on my show, every other show on massive networks started that narrative as well. And it drives me nuts that I think producers who watch really big time shows on network television pay attention to what I do. They steal what I'm saying, give it to their high level guy, give it to their their big guy on TV, and they take that narrative and run with it. And then I, no one remembers I'm the one who started that. I don't. I'm not trying to fill up my ego or anything. But what, what I am saying here is that if you hear that word quarterback market oversaturation anywhere else, I want to know when it started here. I, I think I'm the first person to say that. And if you start seeing that on other networks in the future, I want my credit. I want it to, I want people to say, Hey, that came from Zach. Zach was the first person to say that. So I don't know. Um, there's other stories I have. I've, I've talked to some of those producers. They're very nice, but I think some guys are, are paid to come up with ideas and they don't know where to get them. So they steal them from people. And that's not even wrong because if someone has a good idea, you should talk about it. I, you know, I, I've been really hard on myself. I've never watched other sports podcasts in my time doing the show. And I've recently been thinking about it. Like maybe I should listen to what other people have to say because they have other perspectives. As long as you give them credit and say where they came from, that's good. Um, Cause it's, you don't want to miss out on an important part of a conversation in the sports world, but you got to give credit. And uh, I think there have been multiple stories in my time covering sports that have been stolen by 
bigger people and and used a lot and run with and no one ever talked about me or where they got it and uh it's irritating to me anyway uh now let's get to delo's question delo writes in delo says hey zachary daiquiri i love your content and i look forward to your unique views and and opinions every week thank you for the time and effort you so obviously put in i want to know the best way to support you listening wise on which platforms do you make the most money Currently, I am a YouTube user, but I wouldn't mind switching to Spotify or something else if they offer you better compensation. Please let me know another thing. I used to really enjoy your F1 content and rants, and then he gives like the P, you know, the 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 sticking out your tongue emoji. Do you plan on covering Formula One at any point in the future? Looking forward to an amazing season of football with your voice playing in my eardrums. Thank you, D'Lo. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, first of all, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. Um, and a YouTube video doesn't work for me. Like I, I go on my morning walk every morning. I walk six miles along the alley Y canal. Uh, it's, it's a six mile loop it, down, down to diamond head, then back over and then back to my apartment. It's a whole six mile loop. I walk and I need a podcast. It's, it's takes two hours to do that walk. And so I need something I can download. I really need that. I, a YouTube video doesn't work. It's in your pocket. You hit it. It skips it. It has commercials. It doesn't quite work. I need something uninterrupted that I can put in my backpack and just let it play. That's what a podcast can do. I need to download something that can play continuously uninterrupted. So I, if you're a, a podcast listener, hell yeah. I love that I support you. I'm one myself. Uh, so I encourage you, watch or listen wherever you find it convenient. However, um, the YouTube ad revenue helps a lot. Like the YouTube ad revenue is the best thing I got going for me. And uh, if you want to support the show, you watch on YouTube. I think that's the best way for me to make money right now is on YouTube and uh, hopefully soon the, the podcast right now isn't really making any money. It, it's just something I put out for free that I, I think it, I, it feels like a fair trade because people support me on Patreon and I want to be, I don't want to be greedy, but, um, at a pretty big sponsor for August that fell through that sucked. Uh, I think I'm going to get them for September. Nothing bad happened. They just, their budget was smaller than they thought and I didn't get the ad and, uh, financially that was a hurt. So, uh, if you want to support the show, do it on, on YouTube. That's probably the best way to watch the show right now. And I mean, pay, if you want to support me on Patreon, that really, that's that's helpful too. But as far as listening and watching the show, um, YouTube is the best way to do it. Now, you mentioned Formula One D-Lo. I love Formula One. I miss Formula One. I haven't watched a lot this year. I was doing HVAC. I was under houses every day uh, when the Formula One season started. Remember, I took a break from SOS. I was working in... I was installing air conditioning units every day. You know, you're doing, you're running line set, you're using a bender, you're brazing the metal, you're making a sealed vacuum system and you're suck, pulling the vacuum out, you're closing it off, you're adding, um, you're pressure testing. I was doing all that stuff every day, crawling through rat poop and cockroaches and stuff. It was really interesting, but I didn't have time to watch Formula One. And so, and by the way, that was the most fulfilling thing I've done in my life. I loved, I loved, loved, loved you know, HVAC. I would go back in a heartbeat um, I saw that Daniel Day-Lewis, the really good actor, every once in a while goes and does bricklaying. Like, he'll do a movie, then disappear for a year, and he'll be a bricklayer working for a year to humble himself and keep him grounded. HVAC was like that for me. It was exactly what I needed at that time. And weirdly, I, I like misdoing installs. I really liked it. Um, but what that meant is I never caught up on Formula One. I never, I didn't start watching the season when it came out. And um, maybe, you know, they're currently on summer break in Formula One. Maybe when this, the... Races come back at the end of August. I will watch and follow the second half of the year. But football is my number one focus. And I financially, I have to, people want football from the show. I got to cover football. And I will not sacrifice anything 
So I will not sacrifice football for anything else. Zach Schaumler talking, haven't done in a while, my other podcast, form of the one, like football, strong opinion sports, that's what people want. That's what's important right now to focus on. But if I have other time and energy for stuff like Form of the One, I will. It'd be fun. I love the I love watching the races. The storylines are so interesting. Um, but right now, um, I'm not even caught up. I don't know what's happening in that world. I mean, I know Max is dominating, and I know that um, Fernando Alonso has been really awesome, and he, him and Lewis have been competitive, and he's actually beating Lewis, I think, right now. And you know, that's all fun stuff. However, um, if if covering F1 comes at the sacrifice of Football content. It's not going to happen. Football is my number one priority, and that's how it's got to be. All right. Where are we? Like, what's uh, – I think we got one more write-in today from – we covered Joshua. We did Justin. Uh, last write-in of the show, but we ne- went out of order my notes to kind of follow that conversation we were having. Uh, I think it's Malte, M-A-L-T-E. He's from Denmark. I don't, I, I, I don't know how to say your name, but I love you, and I appreciate you. The guy from Denmark, Malte, writes in and says, Hello, Zacaroni and Cheese. Great writing. I love that intro. Well done. I'm a longtime listener all the way from Denmark in Europe, and I love the show. We're an international show, baby. Hallelujah from Denmark. Good to hear from you. He says, You've now said more than one time that the Chiefs will be completely fine without Eric Bieniemy, and that he therefore may, might not be a good coach. I'm not arguing that he is or isn't going to be successful in Washington. But with that same logic, you could have also said that Tyreek Hill might not be good. And since the Chiefs won a Super Bowl after he left. This obviously isn't true. Tyreek Hill is a good player and we all know how good he is. But I think it shows that that logic might be flawed. What do you think? Malte, you caught me. Um, I think you're right. I, I like the challenge. This is what it's all about. When you write in on Patreon, you challenge my thinking. You challenge my logic. And when, when there's faulty logic, I don't want to acknowledge. And I think you're right. I think it's faulty logic. I think that you got me in... Uh, I'd never meant it as an insult, but I, I thought it was an interesting question that a coach could leave and no impact could be felt, that it's fine. But I think it's just an, an, it's not correlated with how good of a coach Eric Bieniemy is or not. Um, it's just this odd reality. And so it definitely did come off as an, as an insult to Eric Bieniemy. And um, I think, again, the word is unrelated. It's not, it's an uncorrelated thing. So I think Malta, you're right. I think that uh, it's faulty logic to say that just because the enemy won't be missed in Kansas City means he's going to be a bad coach. And um, I can't wait to see how Eric Bieniemy does this year in Washington. So I can't wait to see it. It's going to be awesome and entertaining and interesting. And um, gosh, we'll find out. So Malte, thank you. I love I love your write-ins. Everyone on Patreon today, Justin, Joshua, Malte, D'Lo, Ant-Man. Ant-Man, so cool. Lucas. Uh, the feel is real. All you guys, uh, thanks for writing and thanks for participating in the show. Thanks for your support on Patreon and uh, great questions, man. I love when people serve up really interesting, thought-provoking stuff that allows us to have long conversations that are interesting. I love that kind of thing. And I just want to say thank you. That's really good good content today and great writing. So guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll see you on Thursday. We'll talk about Hard Knocks. We'll talk about, I don't know yet. I got some ideas we'll talk about on Thursday, but um I hope you, this is a creative show, I thought, talking about the Seahawks draft class, talking about um, going back to the well and finding some Johnny Menzel content from uh, Gruden's QB camp, I think is really cool. So I love the show today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you have a great day. I'll see you Thursday. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.